Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. What's Paul saying there? Your sins and mine, your crimes and mine, your, well, every law we've ever broken, every sin of commission, every good thing we failed to do, every sin of omission, he took those and he nailed it to his cross and he's taken it out of the way. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Jesus Crucified. We will be finishing up Luke chapter 23, taking up where we left off on Friday, starting in verse 38. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Let's listen in. An inscription, verse 38 we read, was written over them in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. Now, I already mentioned that they're at a crossroads, the place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary. It's somewhere where people would be walking by and because of that, the charges of each criminal would be placed, except there's a problem, Jesus has no charges. It just says he's the king of the Jews. The Jews weren't really appreciative of this, by the way. They came to Pilate and said, hey, don't put he, he's the king of the Jews. Put he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate finally, a little late, but finally stands up and says, what I've written, I've written. The same one who asked, what is truth? And then goes out and says, I find no fault in this man. This is an innocent man. That's truth. The same man who said, what is truth, says, Jesus, the king of the Jews. That's truth. Here's the issue is, is this is written in Greek because that was the common language of the day in Latin because many scholars were using it in Hebrew because that was the, the language of the, the, the Jewish religious scholars. Greek, by the way. And that day is, well, it's what English is today. Did you know that if you have a heart to do missions, but you don't really know how you would gather the support or how you could make it happen, if you want to go do a short term or even a year or two or three or four year mission, you can pretty much go to any non-English speaking country and get a job teaching English. They'll hire you and you can say, well, I don't even have a degree in English. It doesn't matter. You speak the language and everywhere in the world. Now, this won't work if you want to go to Belize. They already speak English. And so if you're like Caribbean, I got a call there or Hawaii, foreign country, isn't it? No, it's a state. But if you want to go to Russia or to China or to Japan or so many other places where they really want to know English, you can go there. Just, just Google it and check it out. There are many schools that will hire you to teach English. You can share the Lord while you're there. Now, just could lead to prison in some of those countries. But, but it's, it's uh, just, you know, letting you know. But the bottom line is there's opportunity to go. And in that day, Greek was the English, you see. It's the whole world wanted to know it and the whole world was learning it. Well, in any case, this, this um, reality of the charges, this is the king of the Jews. It's not really something that makes sense, you see, you know. I, uh, you know, you should have seen Barabbas, murderer, 
But it says the other were criminals. I think one of the Gospels or two tell us they were thieves. It must have been some high crime because, you know, that, that's a pretty severe punishment for stealing. And so in any case, it says here, this guy's a thief. He's a criminal. It says here, this guy's a thief. It's a criminal. And, and then in the middle, it just says Jesus, the king of the Jews. It makes no sense. But Colossians puts this together for us. Let me read it to you. It's Colossians 2, 2.13. Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What's Paul saying there? Your sins and mine, your crimes and mine, your, well, every law we've ever broken, every sin of commission, every good thing we failed to do, every sin of omission, he took those and he nailed it to his cross and he's taken it out of the way. By the way, that passage speaks of our former state spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2 adds to it without Christ, without hope, and without God. By the way, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's not your past condition. That's your present situation, that you're dead spiritually. And Jesus couldn't be clearer on this. Unless a man be born again, He'll never see the kingdom of God. And unless you have both a physical and a spiritual birth, you will be separated from God for eternity. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the end of all of this. Our present state, if you're in Christ Jesus, alive and forgiven. That's what he says. He has made us alive, Colossians 2, 13. Together with him, having forgiven you, and I love this next word, all trespasses, having forgiven you all trespasses, brought near, Ephesians tells us, by the blood of Christ. Paul, of course, writing Colossians and Ephesians, they're just different churches if you're new to a study of all of this. But to one, he says, hey, you were dead in trespasses and sin, but now you're alive and forgiven. To the other, he says, you were without Christ and without hope and without God, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our slate has been wiped clean. Our charges taken out of the way. Our debt paid, nailed to his cross. And from the cross, among the other things Jesus has to say, he cries, it is finished. It's one Greek word in the Greek, and that's the original language of the New Testament. The word is tetelestai. It elsewhere is translated paid in full. So what's Jesus saying when he cries, it is finished, that your debt of sin, your sin nailed to his cross, now fully covered, fully paid, it is finished. Well, one of the criminals we read in verse 39 who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is one of the most amazing scenes at the cross because one of the two criminals, and we're told in one of the other gospels, or at least one of the other gospels, that they were both kind of on Jesus for a while, and then one of them has a change of heart. He's listening to the things Jesus is saying. He's considering the people at the foot of the cross. The whole thing starts to crystallize in his mind, and he puts it together. One saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. The other rebukes him. Don't you fear God? He confesses his sin and the righteousness of his judgment. Now, he does go a little further. He confesses his sin and the other guy's sin. That's unnecessary, by the way. Today, if you want to get things right with the Lord, just confess your sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But, but, but the idea here is he's confessing his sin. And, and the righteousness of his judgment, he says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Do you know that those who reject Jesus in this lifetime stand before him, not as savior, because you can only be saved by Jesus in this lifetime. If you reject him in this life, you'll stand before him in the next and he will be your judge. And not one person will be able to say this isn't fair. Or this isn't right. Every tongue will confess he's Lord and every tongue will confess that, well, you either got his mercy or you get the justice you deserve. And that's what this guy's saying. I I'm guilty. I deserve this. The wages of sin is death. Crimes against Rome, in his case, led to death. He also confesses and testifies of Jesus' innocence. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. Now he's not even saved yet and he's already preaching Jesus. He asked Jesus for mercy, calling him Lord. And our Lord makes a promise to him. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you know at the end of every service, from the very beginning, and it's been 26 years, we've always given an invitation for people to give their life to Christ. Some services, people don't respond. Sometimes no one raises their hand or makes nothing that says they're responding. And then we get these little sheets. You have them in your bulletin. They look like this and it just says, you know, I'm visiting or this is my name and this is my number. And there's a place to say, I prayed to receive Jesus. You'd be shocked to know how many of these we get from people that never raise their hand. That's why I go ahead and pray the prayer whether anybody you know, says I want to or not. Because I know that God is dealing with hearts. That's why he brings you. If you're a believer, it's to build you up, to equip you for the work of ministry through the teaching of God's holy word. But, but, but the picture here is this guy comes to the Lord and, and he asks forgiveness from the Lord. It's a simple prayer. He just says, remember me. He calls him Lord and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, think about this for a minute. When you come into your kingdom, they're all about to die. And somehow he's put it together that Jesus is going to have a kingdom. 
He's understanding Jesus is innocent and he says so. He confesses his own guilt. He believes in the kingdom that's coming and he says, remember me calling Jesus Lord. Now listen, it's not the form of the prayer. It is important that you pray aloud. Why? Because if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, then we'll be saved. It is important, but it's not the words themselves. It's, it's what's transpiring in your heart with the Lord. Are you connecting with him? Are you truly confessing to him? Are you really repenting of sin and believing that he saved you from your sin and the consequence? And, and so here's, here's the picture and here's the point. Jesus responds to him. He, he says in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, some people have trouble with the idea that where Jesus is headed will be considered paradise. We know he's not ascending back to the Father, not yet. He's going to go preach to those who've been awaiting his crucifixion, who were looking forward to the cross. They died in faith. You can read of them in Hebrews chapter 11. But he calls it paradise. And, and here's the interesting thing. Some because they struggle with the idea that, well, that would be a good day for Jesus or for this thief. They, they translate this, assuredly, I say to you today, you will like someday be with me in paradise. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying today you're going to be with me in paradise. Why? Wherever he was after this point, that's paradise. The real issue is he'd be with Jesus. It doesn't matter where. Do you know that when you breathe your last and this is what happens to him, he breathes his last and he's with the Lord. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you breathe your last, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you're born again of his spirit, you will you'll shut your eyes here and you'll open them in heaven and it will be instantaneous. It will be so quick. And so that's what Jesus promises him. That's what Jesus promises us, if we'll do what he did, confess our sin, our guilt and say, and, and I know I deserve the wages of these sin. What's the, the wages of sin? Death, not just physically, but spiritually, eternal separation from God. When I confess, that's what I have coming. But I say, I know you're holy and I believe in you and remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, he promises to do just that. Verse 44 says it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour and the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. This is a radical, radical picture for us. Mark 15, 38 says the veil was torn from top to bottom. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the temple and it starts with the tabernacle in the wilderness, later the temple, a more, well, seemingly permanent structure there, there was an outer court, there, then there was the holy place, the outer court, many ministered there, the holy place, only the priest could enter in, the holy of holies, only the high priest could enter in, and only on the day of atonement, and always with blood, that blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat that covered, well, it, it was the covering for the Ark of the Covenant where the broken law was within and what a picture the blood covers and, and the mercy covers. And it, it was a glorious event, but, but only one time and one man once a year. 
And now the, the veil's been opened from top to bottom. It's like God saying, hey, enter in, come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. In fact, Hebrews 10, where that particular quote comes from in verse 19 says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He's saying that tabernacle and, and if you go to Will's study on the tabernacle or you do a study on the tabernacle, highly recommended, you're going to find out everything in it points us to Jesus. In the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle in some ways better, but there was only one light in the tabernacle, Jesus, the light of the world. That's where the bread was for the, the priest. Jesus is the bread of life. That's where the altar of incense, Jesus offering prayer. All of it points to him and this curtain itself, which, which in the dispensation of law kept people out of the holy of holies in this dispensation of grace. The curtain is his body broken open for us, his flesh ripped open for us. And what once kept us out now provides access. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having breathed, having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Jesus had earlier said, no one takes my life from me. Here he breathes his last. He just offers his spirit up to the Father. It's the fulfillment of that particular uh, declaration. And when the centurion sees what's happening, he says, certainly this was a righteous man. That's absolutely true, by the way. And I hope he came to know Jesus was more than a righteous man. He was the son of God and savior of the world. You see, it's not enough to know Jesus is holy and you're sinful. It's not enough to know he died on the cross and was buried and rose again. You need to process all that, but you need to confess, repent, surrender your life to him. Or, well, two thieves on the cross, one in glory with the Lord, one in paradise with the Lord, the other forever separated from the Lord. What made the difference? Their decision related to what they were going to do about what he was doing for them. Well, the whole crowd, verse 48, who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He'd not consented to the decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. We know from the other accounts, he wasn't alone. Nicodemus was with him. Nick, who, who came to Jesus at night, who, 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 when Jesus said, you must be born again, said, well, how could that happen? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he talked that way. But, you know, could a man enter into his mother's womb and be born again? He, he thought it was an absurd idea. And Jesus said, you're the spiritual leader of Israel and you don't understand these things. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Hey, we've all experienced that birth or we wouldn't be here. 
That which is born of spirit is spirit. And someday, most of us, prayerfully, hopefully, all of us will stand in the congregation together, worshiping the Lord in glory in heaven. But, but your decision here will make the, the, the determination of if you will, in fact, be there. Well, these two were secret agents followers, you know, I mean, they believed in Jesus. They voted against putting him to death. Nothing was going to stop that. It was within the will of God. It was the perfect will of God for Jesus. And he knew it. But Joseph and Nicodemus, they come and, and Joseph has a, a, a tomb. It's, it's carved in the rock and, and it's not far from Golgotha. In fact, if you make it to Israel and you make it to Jerusalem and you go and you see that tomb, you'll see it. They're, they're within earshot and eyeshot of one another. And, and so in any case, he comes and he asks for the body of Jesus. And they took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever laid him before or laid before. That day was the preparation. The Sabbath drew near. The women who had come with them from Galilee followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Take note of that. It becomes important next week. And they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, if this were anyone but Jesus, this would be the end of the story. It would be a tragic end to a glorious life a life well lived, a life lived for others. But Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He wasn't just buried. He rose again the third day. And that will be the subject of our study next time. Lord, thank you for this amazing record of your, your time on the cross, your suffering the things you said and, and the things that transpired, the, the fulfillment of prophecy and your promise to that thief on the cross. Lord, not one of us would be so foolish as to say we're not guilty. We haven't sinned. Of course, we've all sinned and come short of your glory. You say so and we know it's true. The wages of sin is death, not just physically, Lord. We see it clearly spiritually, eternally, unless we repent and, and trust in you, unless we find the words as that thief did that day to say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, be sure of this. It's not enough to know he's the Lord. The demons know, we're told, and they tremble. It's not enough to believe he died on the cross for your sin, was buried and rose again. You need to confess that you're a sinner. You need to confess that he died for your sins and then receive him as Lord and Savior. It's a transformation that happens at a point in time. That's why he calls it being born again. And then he'll say as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you can grow thereby. It's a new birth, a spiritual birth that enables you to take in the Word of God in a new way as, as spiritual food, not just as something to consider intellectually, but something that will feed and nourish and transform you spiritually. In today's study, Pastor Sam referenced Hebrews 4.16 as he was talking about the veil in the temple being torn in two upon Jesus' death. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. 
Now, I certainly don't want to minimize anything with the comparison I'm going to make. I say it only to help us understand the value of what we are being offered there. And with that offer in mind, I would have you think about how difficult it would be for any one of us to just to get an audience with the President of the United States. Even if I could get that, it most likely would not be in my time of need because I'd probably take me months to get on his calendar, even if I was allowed to, and it certainly would not last very long. And then, more than likely, it would never happen again. One opportunity is probably all I would ever get, and he is just a man. However, being allowed to come boldly before the throne of grace, the very throne of God, to ask whatever it is I desire to ask, I am allowed to do this as often as I need. And I can do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's quite a privilege when you think about it. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.